Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with your hosts, Jake and Randy, discussing all things freestyle frisbee and whatever else that comes up. Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. Hey, Jake, how you doing today? I'm great. How are you, Randy? I'm doing fabulous. You know what? It's Frisbeer weekend this weekend. Oh, my goodness. It's so exciting. Are you having fun? I'm having a great time. I'm there right now, and I don't even know how much of a great time I'm having. It's so fun. I'm certain that you're having a great time, and I'm, I'm really hoping that all the people that couldn't make it there are having a great time watching the live stream. And if you're listening to this podcast and it's still Sunday, go to frisbeeguru.com and tune in, and you can see Randy and all the other Frisbeer folks playing at Frisbeer. Woohoo! Yay! So uh, for this episode, we will be continuing our conversation with Arthur Coddington and Dave Lewis as they take us through their journey uh, of becoming a team and then winning lots and lots of world titles. So let's listen. So there you guys are. You're you're pushing each other's individual games, and now the conversation has gone into let's be a team. So when did you start thinking about a routine, like building a routine? Was that in that time frame? Uh, Dave, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think we had any set co-ops for that Redondo tournament where where I just kind of came in as the as the substitution for Zeph. I think that was like June, but between then and Worlds, and actually between then and Beach Bowl that year, we had a routine. Uh, Beach Bowl was the first time we won a tournament together uh, in 1993. Sorry, I don't think we won that one. 93? I think we yeah. came in second to Chip Chip Bell and Danny Sullivan. That was the next year. Oh, okay. The 93, we, we, we upset Murph and Danny Sullivan, kind of like came, the Worlds were in Seattle in 93, so we came into Seattle going, oh, wow, okay. Maybe we actually are a good team. And what could we possibly do here? So you started in the, you said, Redondo Beach tournament, and you didn't have a routine, and you won, and that's what made you decide that you should play together. There's one tournament in the middle there. So Redondo Beach tournament probably placed middle of the pack. And then a couple months later, there's the Beach Bowl. That's where we won. So yeah, not long after that, you guys decide to like start putting some structure in and start focusing on what is this four minutes going to look like. So how did you guys approach the four minutes in the beginning? Did you guys um, just say, okay, we're going to have a co-op section and it's going to be an indie or like, how did that, how did that evolve for you guys that, that building a routine process? Uh, We had watched a ton of video. So we had the on the field practice, but pretty, pretty much every other moment of free time, we were either watching freestyle videos or talking about freestyle videos on the phone. We kind of knew how people put routines together. And so we were just kind of like, well, okay, that's how they do it. So what would that look like for us? And so we, I think it was probably just our best guess of, okay, you do some opening co-ops, you, have, you make sure that there's some time for the solos, and you close it out, make sure to close it out. Uh, at the end and make sure that there's some connective tissue in between. And it was probably, I'm guessing in 93, it was somewhat of a rudimentary approach to that. What do you remember, Dave? Actually, I don't quite remember the co-ops that we did, but I know that um, I don't think they were very good. But, um, <laughs> you know, um, at the time, though, we thought they were amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course. 
Uh, <laughs> we were probably putting every move we knew into the co-ops. Yeah, well, it's almost like trying to show off, you know, trying to show yeah. off your moves. Right, like, right. Oh, I can do this move and uh, that move. So, because we were really going for difficulty, you know. I would agree. Um, but anyway, I know that we did the the structure where you do a bunch of co-ops and you have two or three indies apiece. But um, it evolved. Um, I think by '94 we were pretty good. Um, we were better, and then we were st- we started winning a lot of tournaments. Eventually. Um, you know, we'd go, we'd practice like crazy, then we'd go up to the FBA Worlds. When you get there, it's really intimidating. Like, because when you're in your own bubble, you know, you think, this is amazing. And then you go there and you're like, oh my God, how am I going to play against these guys? Eventually you forget about that, you know, once the tournament gets going. You know, we worked really hard on the co-ops. And by 95, I remember we went down to Jacksonville and we played inside because I think there were hurricane warnings and uh actually that's the first time i saw paul kenny play um so we get to that tournament by that time i think we pretty much dialed in what the co-ops were and i think they'd improved quite a bit we you know we thought our routine was amazing of course um but it of course wasn't amazing but we nailed our routine um and we came in fifth and we're like you know i think that's where uh, gary hour back in uh, Brian McElwain won uh, yeah, 95 yeah. and um, and you were there playing with Dougie Fresh I remember you did an amazing routine I will say that finals was amazing like you say you guys pl- got fifth and you felt like you played amazing and yeah. I know the <laughs> second place team and third and fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh place teams thought they played amazing that was an amazing yeah. round yeah so we went back home with our heads down and we're like <laughs> What are we doing wrong? Because we basically, all of our co-ops are right next to each other. It would be like hard move, hard move, hard move, hard move, catch, time. It was in real tight. Um, we played the Wintertime Open. I think it was it was 95. Um, wintertime Open's in Pasadena. We'd go there, and at the end of the tournament, we all went to Round Table Pizza for the award ceremony. Sitting at our table was the Beast. He started talking to us and he's like you know you guys are pretty good i i like your routines but there's something missing you're you're missing the flight of the disc so we're like what what do you mean we're really we are really full of ourselves so so how how dare how dare the beast critique our routine steve hayes the beast coming in (laughs) woof yeah so yeah the beast Anyway, um, that was a that the light bulb went off, and we're like, "Oh my God, that's what we're missing." So we started taking that to heart, and we spread out the co-ops. Like some were tight, close together, and then some would be further away. We'd be further away from each other, and then or long ways from each other. So we'd have to do long passes, and it would basically give the routine space. So I remember Joey, um, and also Joey Hudaklin said, you know, use the whole field. And we were basically tight just using a small part of the field. So once we opened it up and started spreading out and doing some tight co-ops, some far away co-ops, it really brought a lot more to the routine. It made it more watchable, you know, less boring, even though we thought it was interesting doing hard move to hard move. 
maybe it wasn't really interesting to the judges or to the people watching. But once we spread it out and opened it up and used the whole field and all that, it really brought us to the next level. Kind of circling back to the philosophy topic, getting that feedback from people and integrating it into our game was super important from the very beginning. So look, while we were full of ourselves and it was difficult to hear critique, we would also seek out feedback in the form of looking at every single judging sheet to see not who gave us the bad marks, but where are we scoring well and where are we not scoring well? So we could see, like, what are people seeing in our game and what would we like them to see next time? So if people weren't getting that we were playing to the music, that's great information. Now we have to make it more clear that we're playing to the music. Or if they're saying, like, their co-ops aren't as good as the top three teams, then that's good feedback. Because if we thought that they were, it's not visible that they are. So we need to do something about that. And so we were always studying how our routines were perceived versus how we were putting together, putting them together in order to push the level of what we were putting out there in competition. Yeah, and I think that is an that was my impression of you guys as you guys were rising and getting on the radar and becoming a prominent team is that you guys really started breaking it down from a judging perspective. You guys went in there and got granular and other teams were not doing that. I know there was a perception that we kind of programmed our routine every 15 seconds and that's way more robotic than we were ever. Like uh, it, we knew that our, we were doing enough diff, so we didn't need to think about 15 seconds, any 15 seconds versus another 15 seconds, there'll be content there. But what we did need to know was, is what we're doing coming across to the audience and to the judges? And how does that map to what we want to do as a team? Like, is it is it fun for us to put this routine out there? And what are we learning from the audience that can help us grow? I remember things like um, watching Randy. You would do, I think, this one roll, roll down, you know, cross your arms, and then it would turn on your, you know, left to right, then would turn and come back the other direction. And you would just have a certain attitude in your face, and the crowd was in you, in the palm of your hands. And we were, like, amazed by that. And we were trying to figure out, how does he do it? You know, what is it about that? And we kind of learned, too, that there has to be big moments in the routine that they can be short, but there has to be a big moment. And almost, I think almost every routine that really does, you know, hits the mark, whether it's worlds or something like that, there's always one moment that almost defines the routine or defines the performance of the routine. So that was one thing. For example, I remember Donnie Wallace would catch, um, where someone would throw the disc across the field upside down and Donnie Wallace would catch it in a scarecrow, and everyone would go nuts. But it was short, and so what was that? We're trying to figure that out. You know, we didn't quite understand uh, at that point, or before that, what that was. But you know, we nece- couldn't necessarily do that. Like we could never do what you do, Randy. We um, didn't have that. There was, you know, you have got a lot of charisma. I don't know how much we have, but it wasn't quite like that. So I think we're not naturally performers, or we weren't naturally performers. We were more athletes and technicians 
and really wanting to push the the athletic sport version of freestyle. And then we learned how to be performers and how to really enjoy the moment and bringing something special to the audience. Yeah. And, you know, it's so interesting that you're bringing my name up because our paths were crossing quite a bit during this time frame as we were on teams. And I don't want to use the word battle, but we were competing against each other and we were coming from different perspectives because I was coming from this, you know, flow, musical, artistic thing. And you guys were coming from this technician stuff. And I was lacking the technician stuff and trying to get there. You guys were kind of lacking that piece that I was bringing. And we were both trying because we were trading off who was winning so it was fascinating to watch us both morph and grow together and at that point 95 it was actually more like the the results were actually more on your side so we were looking up to you and going okay that team's putting down some performances and they're getting recognized for that what do we need to do to catch up and that came that came more to the forefront the next year in 96 after you guys won the u.s open and the world's Again, to circle back a little bit to that the, the Beast conversation, there was another conversation that was pivotal to our team in 1995, which was after a beach tournament in in Ventura toward the end of that season, where uh, it was Rick Castilla, and he came up to us after the, the competition. It was really complimentary about the, the freestyle we were playing, but he talked to us about our music, and he talked to us about that the music – we were connected to the music, but the music wasn't connecting to the audience. And uh, Dave and I are both super musical guys. We love music. Dave plays music brilliantly. Um, and and we're fans of music, so we would play the music we loved. But we were play- paying less attention to the music that our audience loved. And so that was huge for us because in that offseason, we actually found a better balance between music we loved and music we thought that our audience would love. And I think that served us in the following seasons. Well, then we started using musical breaks or music cues. And we tried to incorporate that into the routine, you know, like everybody does. I think we played to I Am The Walrus um, with the Beatles. Mm -hmm. And we designed the routine around there. And there were lots of breaks and things like that that we tried to put in. Yeah, so at that point, um, I think that our routines were was pretty good at that point. And, and that's the point that you we want, right? Less, yeah. And I think we were less full of ourselves at that point. You know, I think when you're coming up, you really have to have that confidence because it pushes you to really try harder and harder. And um, I think when you're starting off, you go to 10 with every move. And you can't really pull off going to 10 with every move. It just doesn't work. I mean, you can get lucky and do it. But 10, I'm talking 10 on your own game like doing your hardest move. Uh, I think in uh, the semifinals, you see a lot of, of the younger guys, they go for it, which, you know, they, it's good to do that, you know. And one time it just all comes together. They make it to the finals and they kind of crumb in the finals because they try to do the same thing. So we tried to do is, um, I basically thought, you know, every move that I do has got to be a 90% move. And, uh, you know, it's, it, I'll have a lot of other moves that I could do in a jam, you know. You couldn't just point your finger to me and say, do it now. But all the ones where I could do it now ended up in the routine, um, could end up in the routine, you know. So anyway, we, so we tried to increase, um, obviously, our execution as well. We learned that every move does not have to be hard because 
it can be exhausting and boring to watch. Just because it's a hard move doesn't mean it's going to be interesting. So the routine has to breathe and be interesting. And that's a really hard thing to find. Yeah, I think that is one of the more elusive things of how do you give a routine soul. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about because you guys came on and you guys were scary good. I mean, it was just like, oh, my God, if they figure out how to start giving this some life, game over. And you guys did. You started giving it the soul and started connecting those those musical dots and the audience dots. And, uh, you know, the rest was history after that point. You guys just started crushing can be really hard for teams when they're coming up to feel like they have to play harder to make the finals like we we were on the west coast during one of the heydays of west like where everyone was on the west coast almost so just to make the finals it was sort of like okay which world champion team do we have to beat to make the last final spot you know like <laughs> right. not even a world's but just like a local west right. coast tournament right and right. so there was like this there was definitely a strain of like can we catch up fast enough to just get to play on that second day? And then once you kind of get there, then you can breathe and you go, okay, we're probably going to make the finals. So now what are these top guys doing? And it kind of goes back to what you're talking about, Dave, those younger players, they don't know how to manage those four or five minutes. They start getting too excited and they start going for something and then they just get lost. And before you know it, they've got five drops and they're out of it because they just don't see the big picture of how to let it come to them, um, yeah. which is kind of a different thing than kind of finding the technician and the soul and stuff. There's there's different different things you have to learn on the path to getting there, which is how to manage the four minutes and then what to do in the four minutes. So, mm-hmm. Well, like you're talking about routine management. It's really important. You have to know when to hold them, when to fold them, you know, like poker. And you just, you have to know when to pull back and when to go for it. And I know we were heavily criticized for, almost criticized for, you know, practicing a lot and really having everything dialed in. But but when you're out there, I don't know if anybody has a routine that goes the way they want it to go. Um, perfect. It's never perfect. And understanding that it was never, um, now I'm talking about the performance, I guess. It's never perfect. And you have to be able to deal with what comes your way. You know, you, you drop the disc. Uh, you can't get down about it. You have to almost forget it happened. Be aware that it happened, but not really let that get you down. You know, then you you can pull back and get back into the uh, routine. Well, you've got to stay in the routine the whole time, but you can't let the drops bother you because you never know what's going to happen. There are some players who are really good right off the bat at performing in competition. And I think Dave and I, like like with just developing our game, we had to be more workmanlike in practicing and figuring it out and really like doing run-throughs of the routine so it so we knew what it felt like to go through the full full four minutes a lot of times and figure it out when it didn't go right what that resulted in was like we had a really good non-verbal communication out in the field where we were like okay you just drop so i know exactly what i need to do or sometimes it would be the opposite where we intrinsically knew that we needed that big moment and so one of us would just put down a big moment and look the other in the eye and go, it's on. But all of that was the result of the hours of practice, of having that foundation to know that we could do that and to, or to know, okay, now is not the moment to do that. Right. It's funny to think that you felt criticized for putting in that time, which is so odd to me. You know, it's like, I feel like, oh, those guys are putting in lots of practice and they're trying really hard. So 
that's not right. <laughs> like, what? What do you mean? It, it just doesn't compute. It, it yeah. didn't compute for us either. Uh, but yeah, that's that's sort of like there. We we heard some undercurrents of like, well, they're practicing. That's not fair. You know, I think it's when you have success, people start to look at how do we how do we start getting chinks in their armor. We talked to the Velasquez brothers, and they felt the same thing. They felt criticized for going down the performance route that they would. Yet they were amazing technicians and you know Irwin does moves he did moves back then that would be more than what anybody's doing now wow it's so unfortunate to hear uh, how Dave and Arthur were feeling criticized at times for for practicing and for putting on a performance I mean I don't know how you can I don't know how people can criticize anyone for showing up to a competition and wanting to do well and doing all of the work before they get there to make that happen. I mean, that seems like exactly what people should be doing. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's just it's too bad. Randy, have you ever felt criticized for your freestyle frisbee performances before? You know, I, I have, and I actually have had similar experiences as to the Velasquez brothers. And, you know, I've always leaned into that performance artistic uh, aspect and uh, certainly have felt some, some negative energy for making that choice. I don't know. I look at freestyle frisbee as an art form. So everybody's, interpretation of that art form is valid and i don't know how i don't know i personally don't see how people could be criticized but i also know that it doesn't matter what you do there will be somebody out there who criticizes you for it so i guess maybe that's just part of human nature yeah and maybe the thing to take from it is you know just let your freak flag fly and do what you do and actually i think criticism is a measure of success the more successful you are the more criticized you are i've, I've noticed that so maybe it's a good thing in a way it's still Frisbeer weekend, and uh, hopefully folks have been enjoying the live stream. We're looking forward to presenting more live streams in the coming weeks. And if you're enjoying our efforts and you want to support what we do, feel free to donate or buy a shirt or buy a mug or become a patron. Any of those things really helps keep the lights on here. So with that, Jake, I will talk to you next week. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. To contact us or for more info, check us out at frisbeeguru.com. Home to Haynesville, Shooting the Frisbees, and live.